Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. I tried to record a different intro, and it sounded absolutely terrible, so I just I, I scratched it. Just, want, just thought I'd let you know, because I was feeling a little self-conscious about it. Anyways, episode number 60. Our guest this week is George Clark, the vocalist from, I don't know how to define the band, black metal, whatever, <laughs> from the band Deaf Heaven. More on him in a minute. Propertyofzack.com. Great website. Check them out. I don't even know what to say about them anymore because I've been talking about them for episode after episode after episode, and they're just a great website. You need to visit there. I think in about two or three weeks, I will be posting an inter- interview with Zach, and that way you get to know a little bit more about the whole, the whole journalistic side of things. Yeah, propertyofzach.com. News, reviews, everything you possibly want about independent music, you can find right there. Uh, go to the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. You can find recommendations of new music and movies and other interesting stuff you find on the internet. Because after all, you need one more place to check throughout the day. You know, you get bored, pop on in there and go, wow, hey, that's cool. I didn't know that was coming out. I haven't listened to that record yet because that's what I do. I got my beat. I got my online path to education. And so all I'm do, I'm a filter. I am bringing you what I would define as the coolest shit that I find. And essentially, that's all that everybody does. But anyways, and then uh, review the show. Hop on iTunes. Give us some stars if you are feeling so generous. And if you are feeling additionally generous, you can go and write some sentences about the show. It's been a moment. I haven't seen a review in the past, like, two weeks. I get a little antsy when that happens. Is anybody listening? Ah! I don't know if I actually do that, but, like, the scream. But I definitely do get anxious where it's like, oh, maybe maybe people, maybe we've leveled off. Maybe no one cares anymore. Maybe everyone I've begged to do shit for the show is they're done. They're over it. Based off of last week's show, we got a lot of new listeners, so thank you for checking us out. And because of that, we do this segment, I don't know, every so often, where I basically, it's, it's a mailbag. This is, people email me, and sometimes they are interested in having the question answered on the show. Other times we just talk offline, and well, online, but off of the show. So Nick G, shout out to him. He wrote in, I used to love going to shows like the Plea for Peace, Take Action Tour, and any show that had a purpose behind it. I don't see as many shows like that anymore. Is it just me? Has the scene lost its sense of social awareness? Is it a money issue? And so he was curious about my thoughts on that and just the general observations, because I just so involved with this world that sometimes things that other people don't pay attention to i do because it's part of my job and part to know that stuff so yeah the tip well the take action tour still exists hopeless does it hopeless records does it every year uh they pick a new charity um it's changed so much over the years and mostly just because just based on the bands the core message of the tour is still there that's cool uh, plea for peace they think it was just a matter of that kind of just died out because i think the enthusiasm because it's not easy to put this stuff together, especially when it comes to a a benefit, because you yourself have to be putting so much time into it, which is taking away the time that you might be putting into a job where you're actually making money off of. And then if you're doing that, you have to be independently wealthy. I mean, if you're Bill Gates, you can be putting on tons of shows, tons of tours, donating lots of money, because obviously that's what he does at this point in his life. Uh, But clearly, people in the independent music scene don't have 
this sort of capital to just be like, all right, I'm going to put this out. We're going to do this. So I don't know. I don't I don't think it's necessarily that the social awareness aspect has been removed completely because you look at a band like Rise Against. They are one of the most popular bands that has come from our scene. And they're essentially a mainstream rock band at this point that there could not be a band that's more politically charged than they are. Um, almost everything they do has some sentiment of awareness based around it. They're not releasing a record that doesn't have a political message. Um, and granted, yeah, you could, you know, you could, there's a lot of other bands down the line as varying levels of popularity that you could point to a band like Hostage Calm, you know, they're very politically active. So, and I think some bands, you know, it, it goes in waves. There are times where it's like bands are not as willing to put themselves out there because, you know, that can, when you're drawing a line in the sand, when you are a band, uh, sometimes that could alienate a certain sect of people, uh, especially if it comes to, you know, political causes. It's like, you know, you might lose half the room if you start or even more than half the room if you are, you know, a conservative member of a political party and you're getting up there and, you know, espousing your beliefs in a room that might not be conducive <laughs> to those beliefs. Yeah, you know, I just think some bands are, are more protective over it, but I still think it exists. You know, you just need to know where to look. And maybe because as you go grow older in the scene, I definitely think you become desensitized to it, where once you've seen it 10 or 15 times, you're like, I already know about this. I've already seen the table with zines in the back, or I've already seen, you know, the vegan co-op bakery that's showing up at shows. Like I've seen that and you become desensitized to it. Whereas a kid at 16 years old comes into the show and is like, whoa, that's crazy. Like you look at Warp Tour, they have a huge presence from a nonprofit organization standpoint. Everybody from, you know, the company that I work for, the organization that I work for, um, to, you know, Clean Canteen, which focuses on people not using plastic water bottles. There's like a million different causes that people can get involved in. So I just think it's where you look. That's basically the, the simplest answer to that question. So yes, there's the mailbag for that. Anyways, before I keep this on too long, George from Deaf Evan. He is the vocalist of the band. I did not know him prior to this. A few people had emailed me asking me to bring him on the show and talk to him. Let's see, I think it was maybe about three weeks before we had this discussion. I got a copy of the newest record called Sunbather. And it, I mean, it honestly floored me. I was ecstatic about it. And I immediately said, okay, let's, this, this is the perfect time to talk to him. And then come to know it, he plays with a dude that I used to play in a band with. I had no idea up until like a day before I interviewed him, looked in the liner notes and said, holy shit, there's the old drummer of an old band I played in. So weird. But again, just shows you, you stay involved for a certain period of time. The world shrinks so much more, especially in the independent music scene. But uh, George was great. I was excited to speak to him just because, you know, sometimes there's these myths about people that get perpetuated, especially from, you know, the black metal standpoint that these people are, uh, you know, are misanthropic and aren't interested in talking to anybody. Clearly, Deaf Heaven does interviews and they put themselves out there in ways that other bands um, of that genre stay away from. I felt like we were able to, you know, kind of put a uh, personality behind the band and not make them so uh, maybe immediately intimidating. But anyways, here's my conversation with George. I will talk to you afterwards. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. So, um... 
I start things off usually with just like my own personal experience with, you know, just being introduced to the musical output of, you know, what you're, what you guys are doing. I just remember the uh, inception of the band as far as like, once you guys put it out there to the world that like, okay, this thing exists. We are putting stuff out on Death Wish. Like, you know, this is what we were doing. For me personally, I just, I, I really like the fact that, like I said, this style of music, what you guys do can be packaged up and presented in a way that might not typically have ever been introduced to your average kid who likes, you know, blacklisted or converge or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just got me stoked. And I'm sure obviously you guys did that intentionally where it was like, okay, this is exciting that we can kind of present ourselves in one scene, but also obviously kind of play above it as well, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah, we, um, I just aim to write music that I find, you know, to be, interesting and, and moving and and I prefer, you know, large soundscapes and, you know, heavy melodies and things like that. I, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of aggressive music that constricts a lot of those elements and or just chooses not to include them. Um, of course, you know, there's a lot of bands that do and do extremely well. But um yeah, I guess I guess just from the get go, you know, we wanted to do something that wasn't, you know, entirely typical, I suppose. Or, right. Or, I don't know. We just wanted to kind of just do our own thing and create something that was, you know, big or at least attempted. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, and that's uh, to to me just as your you know average consumer of independent music. That's you know that was the illustration put forth where it was like yeah. So I was I was excited for that, and I've you know, been been interested in what you guys have done ever since, but backing up even further, so were born and raised, were you always a, a NorCal resident? And do you say do you say Hella? Is that is that part of your vernacular? <laughs> I am guilty of saying Hella. It's true. It's and it's okay. It's I think it's I think you're born with it. Oh yeah, yeah. And um or no, you just you really just learned it. Because I, I did not always live in uh, Northern California. I was actually I was born in Florida, um, in Gainesville. You're hanging out with Hot Water Music then? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. They they uh, they adopted me. Yeah, <laughs> I could have been a lot, a lot cooler, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah maybe, sure. maybe a larger a larger beard you would have had. <laughs> <laughs> would you consider your formative years to be in 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 Florida? No, no, I I moved around a lot, so I had only actually lived there for a few years. And when I was really young, and um, then moved over to California, I, I've been in California uh, most of my life. But my my family's from the south; they all live in Louisiana and Mississippi. And um, my parents are the only ones that ever moved out west. Yeah, and then I, I moved to LA, and I lived in LA for a few years, and then I just moved kind of up the valley and like all, literally all over uh, California. In high school, I lived in a small northern california town called modesto oh oh yes i <laughs> played some shows at modesto mm, the beautiful modesto That's um, gorgeous. And actually, I, I will say that uh i met all of my really most of my really good friends there that i'm still friends with definitely thankful for that and then i moved to san jose and i graduated high school there and then i bounced around a bunch of different places and then settled in san francisco four or five years ago okay why did your uh what was your what was your family structure like and why, why did your uh why did your parents move around some or not so much but why did they decide to leave the south they met in louisiana and my mom was really young 
Uh, I mean, I guess they both were pretty young. We're gonna have me unexpectedly, and uh, so, so you were you were a gift to your parents, so to speak. Um, yeah, exactly. And uh, and then, but they were only married for for a couple of years, and then um, my dad moved. I'm pretty sure either him or my mom, one of them moved to California initially for like a job. I think it was probably my dad, and then or whoever followed the other, just so that we could all be kind of close together. I'm kind of fortunate to, uh, I have parents that are like really, really good friends. They've been, you know, separated almost the entirety of my life, but I think it's because they realize that maybe they couldn't be married to one another and that they were actually just friends because they talk like every day. And my mom's remarried and all that stuff now, but uh, they're still really good friends so that, that was yeah that, I digress. that's no that's that's really cool i like that it's really interesting because i mean uh the i mean obviously i think fractured families are just such a part of our generation because i mean i'm i'm 32 and my parents were divorced when i was like three and i almost wish that my parents were friends like similar to what you were speaking just because it was a pretty acrimonious divorce that i went to and or went through i mean i don't remember it obviously but um so that <laughs> that's cool that you were able to witness kind of like what a a healthy dissolution of a re- of a marriage leading into a friendship. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean I think that there had to be some sort of differences there, and uh, and and there's probably you know with any relationship that you have, there's always that weird after time where you know, there's resentment and stuff. But but these days it's all good. But uh, but anyway, so so yeah, so my mom, um, I lived with her my whole life. And what do they do as uh, your mom and dad do as a uh, professional folk? Um, I, my dad's had a million jobs when I was younger. Not a million jobs. He's actually always been involved in like tech. He's he's like a senior recruiter for a tech company, and mm-hmm. that just builds chips for various electronics. And yeah, he like heads up the uh, HR for that. And, was a very happy guy. He is a avid marathon runner and Southern blood guy living out in town and kind of turning into this like modern cool bachelor dude. <laughs> that's aw- that's awesome. Yeah, he's he's actually fairly infamous. Uh, everyone that's met my dad, like my friends and all that, kind of um. <laughs> You know, laugh about him. He's he's a really extreme character. <laughs> it's it sounds like it. It's a, what did your uh, what did your mom do to make ends meet? Uh, and my mom just worked. Um, she would do like office managing, and then in between that, and then going to school. She went to school for a lot of years, like just sitting on when you're working and all that. You have to like, you can't just do it all in one. For us, you know, she'd have to do like just a few classes here and there. Sure. Yeah, that was, that was that. And now, uh, and now she is getting you know, her degree and lives a very nice life on the coast. Nice. Well, it's, it, and you're an only child, correct? No, I have a younger brother. Oh, okay. Well, it's cool. It sounds like you obviously have a good relationship with uh, both your your parents and. That's obviously at the end of the day what you what you want from a family structure, regardless of divorce or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'm very fortunate. And they're very uh, supportive and, and good. Yeah, uh, I'm down with them. 
do they uh do they understand the endeavors that you are a part of currently or are they just like i don't know whatever george is doing is weird but so be it no no they are like everything that the band posts on facebook they like share it <laughs> they're like <laughs> so good like, almost to like a ridiculous degree they're very, no they're very in tune my uh my mom has already pre-ordered the record uh, that's so good she's very excited and she anytime we have like a like an article in a magazine or anything she keeps in so it's uh yeah yeah no, they, they they definitely know <laughs> my dad like to a like, ridiculous degree he'll be like we just uh, just wrapped up a European tour mm-hmm. and uh, we had a UK date that got um, last minute switched from Leeds, I think, to uh, Manchester. Mm-hmm. And so we were, like, pushing it really hard, um, just trying to promote it because it had been, like, a last minute change. And, like, yeah, he, like, shares that. So and he, like, posts a new flyer and is, like, little, like, calls me Little George. My dad's name is George. Are you the second or are you just Little George? I'm the fourth. You're the fourth? Yeah. Dude, I'm the third. I have a two-year-old son. He's the fourth. You are, I think you're probably one of the only people that isn't like obviously some famous Duke or whatever. That's fucking awesome. I love that. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I have the, man, I have the name of like an eight-year-old man. George is such an old name. Oh, it uh, is. <laughs> it, it makes sense, I guess. Because I don't really meet any Georges either. Uh, maybe not like one. Do you like being the fourth? Is that, uh, do people, I'm sure, comment on that once they find out that you're the fourth? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know if I like it or dislike it. it yeah, it's just it's just you. Yeah, it just makes it sound like just distinguished in some way, which is hilarious. Yeah, uh, it's kind of difficult at like big family dinners, though. Right. <laughs> that's that, that's incredible. I I like that though. Yeah. Originally, I remember being like the third and having people always comment and like, oh yeah, you you know, you don't have an original name. Like they couldn't come up with a name, so they just named you after your dad. But then the older I got, the more I liked it because it's like, you know, it just ties you to your family and you're like, well, are you the third? No, like you're just, you're the first. Like, what does that even mean? It's nothing. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to, there's going to be definite pressure to, uh, I ever have a son for him to be a fifth. Oh yeah. Huge pressure. Because by that, by this time you're like, I mean, you're so far into it that it's like, you better not fuck up little George. Uh, uh, the fifth is, uh, that's, that's like a centric thing. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm the last of my last of my bloodline. Though my brother and I are technically half brothers. Oh, okay. So I'm, uh, I'm the last part. Yeah. Then... If I die, we're done. Right. Which means probably going to be done soon. Right. The, pr- <laughs> the pressure's all on you. I f- I feel you there because I'm an only child and I only plan on having one kid. And yeah, don't don't let it crush you. You could you could rise above it, George. I'm gonna I'm gonna rise away. I'm gonna get out of it. It's gonna be good. <laughs> Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that your dad is so proactive in promoting your your lead show. That's, I mean, you always hear about parents obviously not understanding what their kids are doing because it's just like, oh, you know, they're throwing their life away or whatever the case may be. It's obviously cool to hear the flip side where it's like, not only do they understand what you're doing, but they're taking a, a very active role in your musical career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very, they're very proud parents. They come to shows and do all that. It's actually kind of hilarious having them like in a back area. We uh, we played San Francisco with Russian Circles last year. We uh, we played this uh, venue, the Great American Music Hall. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, which is one of my favorite venues. Uh, 
and they have this really just big, spacious, like, back area, and so, like, all the bands are hanging out, we have, like, we're allowed to have, like, all the guests back there, there's beer, etc., uh, a lot of etc. And, yeah, and so I brought my parents back there, and they're just, like, on cloud nine, you know, there's all these rocker dudes around. <laughs> yeah, they're, like, hanging out, being like, yeah, yeah, we're part, we're part of the entourage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they had me young, so they're they're uh, they're young too. So it's it's kind of funny. They're like, I don't know. I think they're they're actually kind of down. Yeah. Like, uh, we we put Chelsea Wolf and the Russian Circle, and my parents like love both of them now. And right. it's hilarious. <laughs> they're not forcing themselves to like the music. They like are legitimately fans of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah, my mom was like, I downloaded it. Like. All like the, the the Chelsea Wolf discography. And I was like, that's pretty tight. That's that's awesome. Okay, you're 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 in Modesto here, obviously you're going to high school and everything. What sort of kid did you find yourself being? You know, had you already been introduced to music by that point, or what were you? Uh, were you athletic, or what, what were you doing? Absolutely. I mean, it's that it's that stage in your life where music is like your identity. Yeah. Every little thing you own has to have a band name written on it, or white out on like the jam sport. You know, I have like a big Slayer on the back or something like that. It was, Total metalhead dude to a sometimes embarrassing degree. I, I think that's obviously part of the process because you realize, like, looking back on it, you're like, my gosh, like, I was annoying. Well, I mean, I, I had like a, I'm trying to think, I had like a, like, like on freshman year of high school, like, like eighth grade, eighth grade was like cut off shorts, like, like long cut off shorts. Sure. Like Chucks and like a Sepultura shirt, you know, looking very, uh, very ignorant. Did you uh, did you have uh, like shoulder length hair? No, no, I really have super curly hair, so I always had like a really short haircut. Okay, yeah, I grew up, <laughs> I grew up my hair one time when I was like eighteen. Uh, actually, it was really long, but I, yeah, I have like fucking crazy curly hair. So you're um, like, I can't pull this off. Yeah, it was just like, it was just looked like a big tough ball. And like, I was awkward enough, you know, I had like the worst thing in the world. And I think it was like, my feet were huge. And I was really being awkward. But uh, yeah, so I didn't need a big, I didn't need a big curly mop to right. work very bad. I don't need to accentuate my awkwardness. Yeah, yeah, at all. But yeah, but yeah, so I was like, you know, I just was really like, no, I didn't really get into punk until I guess freshman year I started like listening to punk but like my like middle school year that I always thought that you know it was like childish because I was held into like BSI and and shit like that so I was like you know punk's not even hard how did you get how did you get intro I mean obviously how did you get to be kind of a a metalhead from that perspective my first concert I was 12 I went and saw uh, it was Morbid Angel Slayer and Pantera I think it was the last Pantera tour that was your, that was your that was like your first concert. My first concert. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That sounds like a like you know people like to lie about their credibility. Like, oh yeah, my first show. I think I saw a book in you know whatever they make up some band. But that's that's pretty legit. Yeah, yeah. I had Static X as well. Oh, incredible! So, you know they were bringing the new heat. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I like that. Yeah. No. Yeah. It was crazy. And like, all it was was my friend Jared had seen like. Pantera ad or something in a magazine. You know, we're at that age where like it looks when you find out they're like playing 
you know, in your town, you're like, oh yeah, we should go fucking do that. Right, yeah, you're like, yeah. that. whatever they're doing looks awesome. Let's do that. At the time, it was like, I mean, God, so that was seventh grade. So sixth grade was like death zones and, and corn and like cold chamber and just like really, really introductory like new metal because it was like the first heavy, and like Metallica and stuff like that. But this is like when I was like, like first heard about heavy music. Sure. And, uh, and yeah, so seventh grade, and then I go see Tantera, and then I see Slayer, and Slayer like scared the shit out of me because this went when God Hates Us All had come out, and they had these like huge God Hates Us All banners, and you know, like the just intense strobe and right. fire and all that. And, and I was like, this is the sickest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, I, I am all in on this. I bought Cowboys from Hell because I always thought that like, like you should always get the first record of any band because that's when the band is like they're at their best you know I have like that attitude like older stuff's better even at like a seventh like it's like in seventh grade or something what dude you were you were like uh, you were a hipster before hi- hipster even existed right <laughs> yeah I've been a spot for a very long time <laughs> <laughs> I love now, I love that obviously that mentality is absolute bullshit but totally. at that time so I bought like Cowboys from Hell and then I had just heard that Rain and Blood was the first like was the, the record to get for Slayer. So I bought that record and God Hates Us All. It was like a new one and the cover was cool and uh, whatever. And then I bought Morbid Angels, uh, Gateways to Annihilation, which is still my favorite Morbid Angel record. And it's so crazy because I remember at the time just thinking like, this is really extreme metal. Like, I guess it's like death metal. And now when I hear that record, it's like doom death. You know, it's like, it's like so ahead of its time it has crazy doomy riffs that are slow with you know just like this tumbling behind it so that's grown to actually just be one of my favorite records uh ever uh, by this point yeah but yeah so i guess that was it and then i just kind of expanded from there and then um and then i think what really did it was uh, i met carrie um our guitar player when i was 14 i was i was a new kid in school i had like moved to a different school in the middle of my freshman year. That's that's really hard. Yeah, it's it's I mean I went to four high schools. But yeah, so this is my second high school. And I met him there and it wasn't like I guess there wasn't really metal people in in uh in my high school. But there was tons of punks. And we you know, we all got along because you know everyone hated the world. Mm-hmm. So I just hung out with all the punks and Carrie is the one that like introduced me to all of them and he was super fucking like hilarious back then, man. He had like please, like, please, was, please tell me he had like Liberty spikes and no, he he, he never went that angle. Um, <laughs> okay, because it was before skinny jeans came out, so he would just wear like tightest like normal jeans, I guess. Sure. And and we'd, yeah, we would like we would all do like take him in, you know, selling it by hand, you know, just get you know called faggots by everyone. But it's so funny how that you know became popular uh, oh. later. Because I remember right. yeah, back in the day just. It's like everything was done yourself. So he would he would have that, and then he had like a bullet belt and like an XL super faded like misfit shirt. And he always wore this jean jacket with a huge Dead Kennedys patch on the back. And like he had this long, really straggly hair, and just like like Dead Kennedys was his favorite band at the time. And yeah, and so I would, we would just chill, and uh, he would show me cool punk and. Eventually, I started kind of getting into like like hardcore a little bit, but I didn't know that like it was hardcore. 
I remember in eighth grade, I bought Satisfaction to Death of Desire, that Hayford record. Of course. And, uh, you know, which is still a classic. Um, and just remember thinking, like, this is slow metal. <laughs> like, I had no idea of what hardcore was. Because I really had no idea about punk or anything. And yeah. So I was like, this is slow metal, but sometimes they do double bass and, like, yeah, it's, it's sick. I'm down. Yeah, no, I, I love that mentality. Like, I mean, two two points you're hitting on that I think are absolutely incredible and so universal. Where it's like, okay, one, the the idea that you know, sort of the outsiders and the outcasts in regards to you know, like you're the music people in high school. Like, no matter what sort of yeah. fr- fringe music you're into, metal, punk, hardcore, whatever classification, everybody kind of bands together and they learn from one another. Like, you totally spread the same music around where it's like i remember hanging out with a pop punk kid and i was like super into earth crisis strife and Snapcase, and then he gives me like vandals and blink and i'm like oh my god this is incredible but it's like if i didn't have him he i would have never probably been introduced to that and it's like i probably wouldn't have been you know a more well-rounded music individual if it was because of that you know Mm -hmm. the second point you're hitting on yeah you you do start to build off of one another's kind of identity in a way where it's like you're showing each other you're being supportive because at the core of it is just music and then the classifications don't mean anything to you yeah it's it's almost it's so much nicer not knowing what you know music is almost like it's it's so nice to not hear something and like immediately dissect it into like a genre you know like (laughs) I really would love like a slow metal section at a record store and like, you know, hate breed to be in it. Like that's incredible. It's like the best classification. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just hilarious. But yeah, I mean yeah, the whole thing was I just had no for a reference. So then like I would show him a hate breed record and he'd be like, Oh, this is like uh, this is what hardcore is and then like that you know, that kind of thing. And we like we both were like really into uh AFI and like a lot of like there's a band called Scattered Fall where we grew up who was like the mm-hmm. uh, death rocky hardcore punk band and we would just go see them all the time and then doing that like there was so many punk shows happening like and we were like being 14 or 15 doing like toxic narcotic and stuff like that like there was just all these punk shows that i just naturally got into it i was always still really in the middle and i would show him and you know other people different bands so like even to this day, he like can't get down with like the newborn gear and shit like that, which is like like my freshman year of high school and like sophomore year of high school, I was just so into like Cradle of Filth and like Nagelfar and all these like symphonic cheesy ish, you know, like black metal bands. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're like total European metal. That's like a whole different world removed from anything that was happening in the states. Yeah, so I, I mean, I just I, I love shit like that, and, and like. I'm not saying like I claim to know much about it. I was, it was just stuff I remember listening to, and then uh, and then yeah, mm-hmm. on my 16th birthday, because um, I started because of like punk, getting into like The Cure and like Bauhaus and, and Joy Division and stuff like that, and being like, oh, this is cool because I started like really feeling the whole like death rock vibe, and mm-hmm. so I was kind of getting into that too, and then. On my 16th birthday, Carrie bought me uh, both of the Smiths' greatest hits. Uh-huh. I'd never heard the Smiths before, and uh, oh. and you know I and I'd love the Cure and, and these types of things. And I was like, I'm gonna listen to it, and they're like, ah, I don't know, it's okay. And then like, I feel like they're one of those bands that you sort of rediscover, you know, and you, when you like kind of know more about like different types of music, and you can like recognize what they're doing and shit like that. And you you totally have to be 
ready for certain things like you know your your 16 year old brain it's sometimes difficult like you know you put just joy division out of nowhere onto your plate sometimes it's not going to take you know like sometimes yeah but into then but then you're 18 and all of a sudden it's like oh i get it <laughs> yeah and then i mean and then like i'm gonna run 17 17 16 kind of and then really 17 was the year that like i started just digging in music and like like when downloading was first becoming like a thing and you'd have to go on like a like what was that fucking website like Kazaa like, Lime, LimeWire Kazaa was it I, is it is either I mean I remember LimeWire being a thing and, and then like uh, Kazaa yeah I think that's what I think that was I never I never used that one but I, I know what you're talking about yeah I think I had that and I had like LimeWire yeah and, and that's when I was becoming a thing and so like I was being so stoked because I was broke as fuck. So I, you know, I had maybe had, I'd worked one job and for like a summer, you know, but I never had any money. Um, and so I just started downloading and I downloaded everything. And I was just like, I would look in like the backs of magazines at like all the ads and just look at the name and type it in and search it and download whatever it was. Like if it had like, cool cover art or, you know, cool logo and stuff like that. And I started finding out about like labels and, and, and just like expanding everything. I, I started listening to everything. Yeah. Really. Got well, it's, it, it, it's so awesome when you hit that moment where all of a sudden you feel like, you know, where you have some access where it's like, okay, I have the ability to check out a lot of stuff. Um, and then like, that's when it's just like, you feel, you feel like there's no end to what you can discover. Yeah, I was just really hungry, you know, I was like, I think from like then to 21, 22, um, recently I, I slowed down just because life has gotten so busy, um, obviously I still of course all the time and check out new stuff, but like, probably from 22, like 17 to 21, 22, I just consumed everything, and uh, yeah. you know, now, now I'm... So I presume... I presume school was not something that you uh, applied yourself towards or like, did you have any inkling of like, okay, I, you know, I, I want to become this as a profession or did once you kind of start getting into music, you were like, I want to try to figure out how to do this. Uh, I mean, I just, you know, I played a variety of things in different bands in high school. And stuff like, that, like please, please tell me, please tell me your first band because that's usually, it, it, I mean, for one, it has to have a terrible band name, and for two, it has to be something musically just completely inferior to, to anything that you should be doing at that age. Yeah, it was really bad. Oh, God. I, well, I had one band first in eighth grade, which we tried to be like Slayer, but really, really sucked. And I had a BC Rich Warlock and it came with a 15-watt red amp. It was like the package deal that you could buy uh, that you could buy at Guitar Center. And I think it was like the guitar player Slipknot had one, and like Carrie King played one, and I was like, this is sick. And it had like the Widow headstock. It was just terrible. Did you actually play a show with that band, or was that just like practice? No, yeah, that was like, like you invite all your friends over for the practice, you know, that band. Uh, that was called Misanthrope which was... Oh, that's a perfect name for it. Yeah, it's a genius name. Uh, you know, I'm happy I came up with that one. <laughs> um, and then when I was 15, uh, my first act, the first band I ever played a show with was called Fear and Faith Alike. 
some like really deep knowledge right there. That is, uh, Dude, and that th- that 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 name you could probably sell to a band right now and get them signed to like Rise Records or something. Mm-hmm. That's it's like that name is so relevant right now. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, I, I, I should have been better with my COVID. <laughs> it's okay though. Yeah, we we played we played a couple shows. We did a two song demo in this guy's garage that we made like CBRs of, and we mm-hmm. you know sell them at shows or most of the time just give them out. And so that was that was your first. But that was, and so like once you when, once you started to play like out and play shows, was that like the bug had caught and you wanted to do that? And did you did you sing in those bands or were you just doing guitar? What were you doing? Um, uh, for Missions Rope, I played guitar. <laughs> and, uh, okay. And for Fear and Faith, I I sang. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I sang like total garbage. I don't know what. I, <laughs> um, yeah, and then but no, it was never like I, I always really loved it, and I always wanted to be in a band, but like it wasn't like a priority like we everyone had kind of collectively assumed that like like we were never ever going to be successful <laughs> you know like it was a foregone conclusion yeah and yeah like you know you'd walk around your high school and like put flyers up on the windows and you're like stoked you know and you have this like baby you know celebrity thing that you think is like really tight uh and it was yeah, it was just that. I don't know. But I was I always liked playing music. I knew I wanted to do that, but like professionally or anything. I don't even know if it's still like a professional Right. You're still you're still figuring out. Because so many people have a conception about once a band reaches a certain level, oh, you must live off of Deaf Heaven. And like I mean you work you probably work jobs in between tours, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm you know, the the ultimate goal is to hopefully not do that eventually. Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely still work. Yeah, I'm just like a, I'm like a cashier. I'm like a, sure. I'm a really, really, really broke ass cashier that like calls in half the time, and I hate going to work, and I, uh, I definitely pay for it because I can't pay for anything. I'm hoping that eventually I won't have to. That would be an extreme luxury. I find it interesting that you, um, you obviously had such a long-standing relationship with your bandmate and that the fact that you guys have been able to sustain not only your friendship, but then obviously coming together musically, like that's not easy. Cause so many people like, you know, uh, some people don't understand like how difficult it is to play with a whole band, let alone play with like one person and be creative for two, three, four, five years, however long a band exists. It's so hard. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel very fortunate. I think that I'm lucky enough to uh, work with, you know, one of my favorite songwriters. Uh, and he's always been that way, I feel like. I remember him, like, I remember him, like, junior year of high school playing, like, you know, like, Explosions in the Sky Rips and shit like this. And, like, it's cool. Uh, and it's, it's weird kind of how it worked out because I moved around a lot and stuff, so we would, like, kind of not talk for a while. You know, it was around, like, 16, 17, 18... And then, like, randomly, we started hanging out again. Because, like, I saw him at a party. And I was like, oh, shit. And then we started kicking out all the time. And then, like, I moved to San Francisco before he did. And I, like, got this house set up. And then um, I was like, you should come live with me. And then uh, so he came out. And then we started jamming. And then uh, 
you know, and we played in bands together before and stuff like that. And um, we just started writing what was what ended up being a Death Heaven demo. And I was like, we should just record this and have fun and not play shows and just put it up right. free online and, and see what happens. But there was never any intention of like success or whatever. It, the first time we, right. time we got put on a blog, we were like, holy shit, like someone listened to it. This is uh, Right. Certain bands start for certain reasons, i.e. once people have figured out a way to make a living off of independent music, that's when you're going to get an influx of kids being like, oh, wow, I can make a living off of my band, so I should start one. Um, but you always, you know, those bands sometimes end up being very short-lived. Yeah. But then it's like, you know, you, you see, obviously, like how a lot of the bands that, you know, you guys are friends with and you live in the same, you know, musical world... Um, it just starts from exactly what you're talking about. Just that, like, oh, whatever, let's do this. Like, because I enjoy creating something from nothing with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, 100. Um, percent Yeah, I, I, I would hope that you wouldn't start a band to be like, let's get fucking huge. You know what I mean? Like, or, or let's start off like wanting to be a rock star. We all, right. we always kind of went into it with like a pessimistic attitude. So. Yeah, I mean, not that we didn't, like, care about it. Like, I, you know, I remember, like, posting on message boards and stuff like that and just saying, like, download this, like, check it out, like, all that. And, uh, but, yeah, I never had the intent of, like, any sense of mild success. Right, right, right. Yeah, I can't go into it, like, feeling optimistic. Being in a band is, like, you're one in, you know, however many... Uh, you're like there's like one in like ten thousand chance that you're gonna like do anything, and then what you and if you're playing any type of extreme music, after you get that chance, like it's not really gonna do much for you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, th- every, this isn't every dude I know in a full time touring band like either crashes around at friends' houses when he's home, or like lives with his parents, or does what I do, which is sleep on a couch. I mean, and obviously, you know, I mean, I don't give a fuck. You know, as long as we're doing this, I want to get bigger and do better and do more. And, you know, you know I figure it's not going to last forever. So while it's here, I want to do the most of it. And that's why, you know, we fucking tour Japan and Russia and all this shit. Like, we've been to Europe three times in the last like, year. So I'm just, like, hungry to do it. Sure, sure. Well, and that's that's a that's a good feeling. It's like once you've once you've obviously tasted some level of quote-unquote success, which in your mind, like you said, is, like, literally putting out a record and playing in front of people. Yeah. Um, once you get a taste of that, you're just like, oh, this is, like, like you said, strike while the iron's hot. This is great. Uh, like, I just want to experience this rather than viewing this as, like, your sole source of income. I mean, yeah, I could, I, you know, because, I mean, if it ever were to be, that would be crazy. You know, I can't even imagine it. But right. until then, like, it's just fun. And, like, I have fun doing it. And playing the basement is fun. And playing a huge fucking stage in front of thousands of people is really fun. And putting out records is really fun. And getting to write and record is so much fun. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, it's, it's definitely work. Since things really started picking up, I feel like we, you know, bust our ass and done, you know, quite a bit in the short time we've been here. And I want to continue to do that. Um, yeah, well, because you, you know, yeah, you, above all, you don't take it for granted, and you appreciate whatever stuff comes your direction, good or bad. It's like you just you you take it all, and it's like this is part of the experience. Exactly. It's just uh, like uh, it's, a, it's a thing that I'll probably you know look back on and be like, 
and that was awesome. And work, and there was, you know, it gets stressful as fuck sometimes, but you know, it's the best job in the world. Right, right. Because not every not everybody gets to experience that, and that's that is the reward in and of itself. Because it's a unique experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first U.S. tour, your first West Coast tour, like anything, it's huge. Everything is, and at the time, especially, it feels massive. I'm, I'm feeling it right now. I, I felt it so many times during the course of this thing that we had, um, bubbling excitement. You know, like first time we heard about we're going to Europe, it was like this is fucking crazy. You know, first time, you know. <laughs> Like when we got the, when we got the email from Death Wish saying like we'd like to put this out, I was like, "What?" You know, I was so confused. <laughs> You're like, "Why would you want to invest in this?" Dude, I seriously, I was like, we had played like four shows, and he was like, "Yeah, we'll put that out." And I was like, "Cool, yeah, yeah, all right. Well, what happens now?" You know, and I'm feeling that now. <laughs> like Sunday, they're just. You know, I mean, it comes out June 11th, but it's pretty much out now, and, and we're doing pre-orders and we're shipping and stuff. And I'm feeling that like. You know, I just want to know what's going to happen next. And, and yeah, you want to look what's around the corner. It's exciting because you've, you know, you've you've put yourself out there from an artistic perspective, and now you get to kind of reap the uh, input from everything else that's going on out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and, and I don't take any of it, you know, for granted at all. I I feel like I feel like every band at every level should always have something to look forward to and be excited about, while at the same time appreciating you know every step that they are essentially granted yeah it's it's so tough to like retain that uh perspective i think no matter what you're doing um because obviously the idea of you know success is such a impossible thing to define because you're always going to desire something more and then once you get to that spot you're going to be like oh that's it okay let's look for something more um but yeah ultimately to kind of just like soak in those little moments of whatever it is you're experiencing and being like, wow, like, like stepping back and being like, this is, this is something I can soak in for this particular, you know, night or particular review or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, 100%. And, and it's also like the biggest change that projects is definitely. Yeah. The biggest change that it's done for me is also like getting an inside view and kind of, you know, things seem really monumental and then they happen and you're like, wow, that was awesome. But then you're like, you know, yeah, you just have that buzz again. And you're like, Oh God, it really wasn't that crazy. I could be way crazier than that. Like, like when we, when we went to Japan and played with like Sun and Godflesh, it was like fucking crazy. And there's Boris and Envy. It was just like this insane, like mini festival, seven bands. And, and I remember thinking like, this is so fucking crazy and then you get to see Godflesh and you get to see Sun and then the show's over and you're like you know, it was just regular dudes doing regular things like it's it's cool like I remember thinking like when I wasn't in a band seeing tours announced and stuff like that and being like that's a dream like that's that's like the best tour ever like that's crazy I was, you know I would die if I got offered something like that and then you do that tour you know that's in your head and you realize it's not even like that crazy, you know, you want crazier, you want bigger. It's fun. And, and you know, like we're saying, I don't expect it to last forever. I mean, if it does, that'd be cool. But, you know, while we're here, might as well just push. Right. Soak in it. I'm kind of random. Um, but I don't want to 
No, no, no. I, I no. That's I, I'm I'm forcing you to ramble. I also I also think it's interesting just because me myself, like I definitely, like I said, I was cut from the you know hardcore punk scene, um, and you know grew to appreciate a lot of other musical genres, mostly because I worked at an independent record store and it afforded me the ability to you know check out everything that I was interested in. Um, but it was it was really interesting to watch that trend, um, and obviously the trend still continues within the idea of obviously like you know how black metal has become more uh, accepted within the sort of hardcore kid community, so to speak. Um, and I, I use I use that term loosely because there are still a lot of kids like you put a Agalock record in front of them and they're going to be like, "What the fuck is this?" Um, but you know they're like people are more i guess open you know it's like with with cobalt kralis like all these things that it's like uh, kids have the ability to understand that music a little bit easier because it might be packaged in a way such as exactly what you guys are doing where it's like yeah you can play with boris um but then you know you have played with ceremony or blacklisted where it's just like oh like i can kind of wrap my head around that because it's not these you know crazy looking guys, you know, doing uh, exhibitionist art and cutting themselves or whatever. Um, I'm sure you've noticed a lot of feedback from that perspective of kids being like, oh, I've never listened to a band like you guys, but you opened me to a new world or, you know, or some some variation of that. Totally. No, absolutely. I mean, I think it's really, I I think a huge part of it is, is the internet. You know, there's so much being pushed out and and sometimes it it makes for fickle listeners, you know. Um, but at the same time, there's people that just wrap themselves in everything, and so like so suddenly things don't seem so separated. You go you go to a website and you have like this record, and you know you have like a like a quest record, and then you have like like a ceremony record, and above that there's like a yeah like an analog record, and this website is just revealing all these heavy records and you're being exposed to all of them and have naturally grow to like it, I think. I think that's a big thing. And I think it's also I think it's also making it so that people are, you know, combining uh, genres, you know, and then there's all this like melting and molding and, and it's gotten to a point where people are irritated with creating genres. You know, like like don't call it that, like just don't have a genre for it. I hate all these people that pick genres. Blah, 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 everything is becoming so melted into each other because we're exposed to so much stuff. Like I remember when like Iskra was like the only band that I had ever heard labeled like Black and Crust, and I was like, <laughs> Black and Crust, like that's that's fucking sick. And I was like eighteen or something, and I was like, this is tight. And and now that's like a total common thing. You know, like no. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's a million, you know, quote-unquote, black and crust bands now. You know, it's because you're just being exposed to all these different things at such a high rate that you can learn to take them and, and make them work with one another. I think it's yeah. yeah it's really it's really interesting. You know, there's so many creative bands coming out. Um, yeah. No, it's, it, it, it's cool because, it, yeah, it definitely is inspiring because you you look at it from the standpoint where it's like, I look at myself when I was, you know, uh, whatever, 15, 16, 17, uh, you know, granted that was like, you know, whatever late nineties when the internet wasn't as pervasive as it was. And like, I, like we were talking about earlier, I don't know if I would have been ready to hear certain bands like that, but then it seems like we can question the authenticity of kids liking certain bands, but it's like, you know, your average 16 year old kid, he's listening to Justin Bieber. He's listening to Kesha 
and he's also listening to Newfound Glory. The palette, it's massive. Like, it's its almost tough to wrap your head around. Yeah, yeah no, 100%. And, and, and the downfall is that I'm sure there's a lot of cases where, you know, it makes for a fickle listener. How could it not? Like, especially with, like, losing touch with physical music. It's like, that is what, like, all almost all my favorite records are from when only get it by buying the CD. And it's because, like, I would wrap my head in it and, like, read along to all the lyrics while I were just laying in my bed, like, going through CDs, you know? So, so, so that's the downfall, is you're having such a high volume. But then I really believe that, you know, the generation now is used to that, and so it doesn't, you know, there, there's some that it doesn't necessarily affect, and they can take time to listen to everything and, like, really enjoy it. I mean, I know people, everyone that I know at the desk job just, like, literally plays albums back to back to back, like, and you get to, you know, I think to a certain degree, you still get to soak up music. You're just soaking up a, a lot of it. And um, I, I don't think, you know, I think overall it's a positive thing. I think, you know, yeah. you, know you could go back and forth you know, about it all, you know, all day. But I, I think that music sharing and, and, and people, you know, getting exposed to everything is, is not a bad thing. And, uh, you know, you can say what you want, but there is... You know, musical merit to you know, top forty. You know what I mean, like there are mm-hmm. producers that are like making those songs that are like themselves great musicians. It's so difficult, I feel like, to write like a pop song. You know, so if if you if you can appreciate that and like pop punk, and and then that segues into punk, which segues into you know hardcore and kind of all these you know sub sub genres. That's cool. Yeah, I no, I, it's it's it, it's definitely positive, and I, I think it's like I like the fact that you look because I mean, obviously, Deaf Heaven is totally a target in regards to the idea that it's like, okay, you guys aren't authentic, you you know don't live in a forest, whatever label that people put on you, um, you know, as we joked about earlier, hipster metal, which every fucking interview asks you guys like, hey, do you feel comfortable being a part of that scene? Um, and it's like the fact that you yourself can obviously retain the positivity of being like like okay whatever people will throw their stones this is this is great that what kids are are experiencing so many different genres of music because it's it's just as easy to become immediately jaded especially from your perspective if a vocal minority is just sitting there talking trash on what you what you're creating you're always going to have people that don't like what you're doing i mean big fucking deal Right. <laughs> Especially, I always look at it from the perspective, if you don't have people that aren't enjoying what you're doing, you're really not doing something that's kind of worth creating. Because you should be making stuff that people don't like. Uh, you know, I, yeah, like, Carrie and I have talked about this before. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, it's still important enough for you to have an opinion about it. And that says something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like, yeah, you can easily... For sure. You can easily just brush it off and, and not care. But... I don't know. I mean, I try not to be jaded. I don't think I'm jaded. It gets frustrating sometimes, like, if you read, you know, your own press and, and or you just, like, you know, do some dumbass Twitter search of your name or something like that, and someone doesn't like you, but they have, like, the most ridiculous reason, you know, like, something that doesn't make sense. I'm like, oh, come on. But sometimes people just yeah. generally don't like us, and they have a totally fair opinion, and that's all good. I mean, I don't care. Like, I'm Right, but if pe- and if people, but if people look at uh, you know a press photo and are like, oh yeah, these oh, the- he's wearing an overcoat, I'm uh, not into that. Yeah, I mean, that's just dumb. 
yeah, but, I mean, it, it's true. It, it's, I don't even get it anymore. I remember that, that when it first started coming out, me being like, hey, why are people tripping off what I look right now? Like, uh, whatever. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess it's a thing. And then it, like, for some reason, really became a thing. The whole thing's just been sort of you know, confusing. In, in terms of, like, inauthentic or, like, these terms, like, like you know, like, poser. Like, I remember poser in, like, seventh grade that's what you fucking called people because you thought you were tight you know what I mean like and, sure. then, and then like I never heard it and then I swear to god in the last like two or three years like there's this resurgence and there's like the people that like are so quick to write you off like you could have a conversation with me any day of the week you want know, to talk about heavy music and and I am sure to very easily keep up sorry I have you know a short haircut and I don't look like an asshole term that your parents are using and like they they fully understand the concept behind it that's when you know it's so ubiquitous it's meaningless just like the idea of the word punk like what does that actually mean at this point it's 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 lost its sort of original relevancy and it's you know it's it's part of the ether it's part of our culture now and that's you know that is what it is but yeah it's it is a it is a very dismissive term and like I, i like the i like what you're saying in regards to the fact that it's it's easy to put a band like yourselves in a corner from a critical standpoint just because you don't want to take the time or the effort or whatever reason of actually not of checking out the art that you're creating and it's like that's just it's easier it's easier to do that than it is to invest the time in it and it's just unfortunate but you know you're i think you're doing you're obviously you're obviously doing the right thing you're like you said you're rising above it, not not concerning yourself because you're comfortable with what you're doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. And the, the, actually, the funniest part is that it's becoming like, like I've seen like younger kids talk about it, like, like hipster metal is like a thing. And it's like a, it's not like a negative thing. It's like a positive thing. Like, embrace <laughs> the term. Like, it reminds me of this thing I, I read um, about Mogwai when they were first getting called like post rock, and they were like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, <laughs> right? They called post rock like that doesn't even mean anything like post rock. And now it's like you know it's totally acceptable, and I fear that in like four years, you know, you're gonna start saying like <laughs> you're gonna start saying like spin reviews that say like it's your metal band, blah blah blah. 
You know? Yeah. Like, cause, cause you see the word post rock written all the time. It's not even a thing, but like when it was first happening, people were like, you know, the guys making that music were offended. You know, they just, yeah. Like, oh, look at the, look at the word emo. <laughs> Same yeah. sort of thing. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 For yeah. Sure. And that's, yeah, another fine example. And then, you know, eventually it all just get embraced and I just want to stay away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's, I mean, from everything that I, that you guys have done from that perspective, it's just been like you you don't engage it, you just exist, you do your thing, you tour with the bands that make sense, you know, either friendship wise or sonically or whatever. You don't force the issue. Yeah, you exist, and I think through that existence, it shows your own ability to kind of rise above that and not in like a shitty way, you know. Yeah. Which is that, I mean, I, and I think that anybody that gives your ba- you and your band, you know. 10 minutes worth of your time would be able to pick up on that. And that's, you know, that's a great thing to do. Thank you. So good. So good job. Way to, way to not fuck up, George. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate that. Sincerely. Yeah, no, no, no problem. Well, I won't take up any more of your time because we could probably talk for another seven hours, I think, but right, like probably right up to you go on stage, but I won't. <laughs> okay. I definitely enjoyed the conversation. All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Gave you a little bit more perspective on uh, where they were coming from. They, as in Death Heaven. Uh, like I said, they have a new record out on Death Wish. Check it out. It's called Sunbather. Even if it's not new when you listen to this show in like 10 years, the record's called Sunbather. It's really good. Hopefully the internet still exists in 10 years. <laughs> or podcasts still exist then. Visit propertyofzack.com, 100wordspodcast.com. Go to Twitter. You can find us there at 100 words podcast you can also email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com you can be included in a mailbag segment on an upcoming show that's all and until next week thank you very much peace out Six.